Please stand for the reading of God's word. The scripture for today's teaching comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 35 through 48. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming, and he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. This is God's word. Thanks. Good morning. How'd that feel? Ouch. <laughs> yeah. So we're walking through Luke's gospel this year leading up to Easter Sunday will be the conclusion of our uh, journey through Luke. We are right now journeying with Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, uh, finding out what the way of Jesus is all about. In the next two weeks, we're going to come up against what I would consider some of the harder sayings of Jesus in Luke's gospel. There are many of them, but we'll look at two of them. Uh, and if you're a teacher and you are doing a book study on, on the Gospel of Luke, you're tempted to pick all your favorite passages because, you know, we're not taking every passage. So I, I'm tempted just to pick all my favorite passages and preach those. Uh, but then there's a deeper voice that says, no, you need to be faithful to represent Luke and what he wanted to capture about who Jesus is. And so that means that sometimes we come across passages that um, I'm not, frankly, drawn to very much personally, um, but that are very much a part of Jesus' message and who he is. And so the next two weeks, uh, we're going to look at two of those um, passages, and I, I think you'll find them challenging, but I also think you'll find good news embedded within them. I certainly have. But uh, I'm, I, the more I read uh, Luke's gospel, I'm realizing something about Jesus, and it's this. He is a very complex person, um, simply put. Uh, he is gracious and demanding all at the same time. Um, you know, there's this side of him that is there's mercy and forgiveness and love and compassion and joy. And he's this very life-giving person to be around. 
And yet he calls people into something, and he has expectations. He, he's calling people into a covenant with him, and, and those, that, that relationship has with it a sense of, here's what I want from you. And he doesn't treat us like little kids. He treats us like adults and says, I'm asking something of you. And the more that I read him in the Gospels, um, the more that I realize he reminds me of somebody else I know, and that someone else is uh, Yahweh in the Old Testament, right? Fancy that. They kind of seem like each other. Um, which our theology would say they should sound exactly like each other. But he reminds me of Yahweh, this God who from beginning to end is described as compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And yet there's this side of him, there's this, this God who is jealous for his people, right? There's a fierce jealousy for his people's hearts. And he calls people into covenant and says, I want to enter into a relationship with you. And that relationship has all sorts of implications for how I want you to live. And I see that same person in the person of Jesus. And we ought to think, I mean, there should be consistency between those two people because we believe Jesus is in fact God in the flesh. But we're going to come across some things that are unsettling. And this is one of those passages, at least for me, that is unsettling. Uh, Today, Jesus confronts us with a reality. I love what Mark said in his prayer, whether you want to acknowledge this or not, (laughs) whether whether we want to think about this or not, Jesus says, there is a reality that is coming, and I want it to shape how you live your life. There is an event in the future that is coming, and it's coming whether you believe it is or not, and it's coming whether you think about it often or not. But I want you, Jesus is saying, I want it to shape how you live your lives today. What is that event? It is the second coming of Jesus, the return of the king, we would say. When Jesus returns, and the church has been debating for 2,000 years about the precise nature of that return and the timing of it and the ordering events and all that, but what the church has stood clear on is two things. When Jesus comes, one, there will be a reckoning. There will be. He comes as the judge, as the one who will pronounce definitive statements on every human being's life that will have eternal impact for them. There will be a reckoning. But secondly, when he comes, along with that reckoning, he comes to put all things right, to make all things new, (laughs) to remove the old order of things. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or suffering. New heavens, new earth, and all shall be well. Okay? There's going to be a reckoning, but he will put everything right. And Jesus says, that event that is coming, I want that to shape how you live your lives now. I want you to have one eye on that event as you also have an eye on your daily lives. And so today we get this passage that has really three images that Jesus gives us of how we ought to live our lives today in light of that a future event. So here's what I want to do today. I want to just walk through those images. We won't take a ton of time to do that, but walk through the images. And then I want to share what I find particularly challenging about the images. And then I want to end with where's the good news in these images, all right? So let's look at these uh, three images. They're all pretty short images that Jesus gives us of how we live our lives in light of his coming. So the first we find the beginning in verse 35, okay? We're just going to walk through this pretty quickly. Images of servants waiting for their master to return. Let me read it again. Verse 35. Be dressed, Jesus is talking to, to his disciples, to us. Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning 
like servants waiting for their master return from a wedding, uh, waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. All right. So Jesus is drawing on a first-century Roman. Greco-Roman household image, where you have a, a rich landowner who owns property, and then you have his servants. Uh, and uh, the, the landowner, is, he's coming home from a wedding, right? So this is a fairly positive image. Uh, the, you would assume the master would be coming home late at night um, in a good mood, right? He's just been celebrating someone's wedding. Uh, he's coming back, and uh, he's coming. But, but So good mood, positive tone, and yet the servants should still be ready for him to return so they can welcome him home the way servants ought to welcome their master home. Uh, And it says in verse 38, the possibility of the master being pretty late. Look at this. Uh, It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or even toward daybreak. Okay, first century Jewish culture, um, wedding celebrations were a big deal. They knew how to have a good time. These things would go late in the night. And so uh, the, the servants could be at home waiting for their master and could be, wait till midnight or till three in the morning. That wouldn't be an uncommon occurrence. And so the point is, Jesus is giving all these images of being ready to welcome the master home, right? Verse 35, be dressed, ready for service, right? You, you servants, you shouldn't be in your PJ sleeping when the master comes home. You should still have your servant's clothes on. Be ready for him. Keep your lamps burning, Okay, no electricity back then. We don't want the master coming back to a dark house. Keep some lamps burning so he can find his way in, make his way to his bedroom. Uh, And then uh, like servants waiting for their master, it will be good for those servants uh, whose master finds them watching. So dressed, lamps burning, waiting, watching, this image of alertness and readiness, right? So you can imagine these servants Looking out the window, waiting, has the, is the master coming back? No, he's not home, back yet. All right, let's just be ready and alert. Okay, the opposite of that, of course, would be with these servants like, it's getting late, and they'd all fall asleep, let's say. They all go to bed, fall asleep, uh, doors locked, lights are out, and the master comes home uh, to a dark, you know, entryway, and he's having to knock on the door for a long time before the, the, the servants wake up. All right, so it's an image of be ready. Be alert. Be looking for the master to return so that you can welcome him home the way a servant ought to welcome his master home. And Jesus, of course, is saying, that's the posture that I want you to have. Alert, ready for me to return so that you can welcome me home. That's the first image. Uh, Second image uh, begins in verse 39. It's our quickest, briefest image, and uh, it's a little bit more alarming and unsettling than the first image. Verse 39, but understand this. Now we're owners of a house. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left to let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So a fairly unsettling image. Jesus saying, my coming will be like the coming of a thief to break in and steal a house. Now I don't think Jesus wants us to make a bunch of parallels there that he's like a thief who's going to steal stuff from us when he returns. But I think the point is, thieves come at times when you least expect them, right? An unexpected time. And so Jesus is saying, my my coming will be like that. It will be unexpected. It will be surprising. You won't be able to predict it. You you don't know when a thief is going to come, and that's how my coming is going to be, like a thief in the night. It could happen at any time, and you will not be able to predict it. So you ought to be ready all the time, would be the point of the second one. It's unexpected. 
So be ready at any time. Uh, And then the third image begins in verse 42. And this takes us back to the servant master uh, image. Um, Verse 42. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? All right, so now the image has changed a little bit. Now you have a servant of a household who has been put in charge of other servants in the household. And last week we looked at the parable of the shrewd manager. Remember that weird parable? Where there is a servant who is put in charge of the master's possessions and his business dealings. Here now you have a servant who's being put in charge of the other servants. Uh, and he's being entrusted with the care of his master's servants. And, of course, the goal of that uh, would be that um, he has the master's authority. He's been given the master's permission to take care of the servants. And he ought to do that in a way that represents the master. He ought to care for the servants. He ought to give them their food at the right time, uh, their provision. He ought to manage the other servants in a way that is wise and faithful. Um, the opposite of that uh, kind of management of the other servants, of course, would be to use that new authority he has and use it for selfish means while the master is gone. Look at verse 45. Uh, but suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming, and then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. Okay, that would be the wrong way to manage the other servants. That'd be an extreme example. You were given this authority. Uh, you were given this privilege and this responsibility, and you've just taken advantage of that and used it selfishly. And Jesus, of course, saying, that's not how the master would want the servant to do that. He'd want them to be faithful and wise with what the master has entrusted to him. So the first one is be ready, Right? Be awake, be alert, be watching. This one is, in the meantime, deal faithfully with what you've been given. Whatever's been entrusted to you in the meantime, be wise, be faithful in how you use it. And there's a question here, like, who's Jesus talking about? Like, is this a parable for everybody? Is he talking just to the disciples here? Um, You know, look at verse 41. Peter asks Jesus, Lord, are, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Like, who, is this just for us or for everyone? And I hit Jesus, darn it, doesn't answer, right? Jesus answered. Who then is like, give me an answer. Um, but I think the answer is, um, it's probably especially given to the disciples because these were guys who were entrusted with the servants of the master. They were entrusted with the early church, right? They were put in charge. And, and Jesus said, I want you to build my church. And so this had particular relevance to them. I think anyone in some form of church leadership today might feel a particular uh, connection with this as servants who have been entrusted to care and feed and teach and lead and serve other servants. So I think church leaders could maybe feel this. But really anyone, I think, any of us can relate to this. The reality is we've all been entrusted with various things by the master. We've been entrusted with our own talents. We've been entrusted with possibly families, with homes, with our wealth, with our opportunities. And the question is, will we, until he returns, will we deal with those things wisely? And will we be faithful in how we manage those things for the master until he comes back? All right, you still with me? Okay, so just surface level, just, you know, these three images, just want to make sure you get inside of the images, can see them for what they are. Um, all of them, when you look at them together, I think the, the picture that is created is this. Jesus, 
the master is going to return. Okay? His return may be delayed for some time. Turns out it has been delayed for some time. But it is certain it is going to happen. But in the meantime, the temptation for us will be this. This is taking so long. It will be to fall asleep. It will be to not stay alert and awake and waiting eagerly for his second coming. The temptation will be rather than faithfully manage whatever he's given us with a view towards him coming back, it will be to take these things and use them for our own selfish means and to our own advantage. That will be the temptation. And so Jesus is saying, don't give in to that temptation. Stay alert. Stay focused on the fact that I'm coming back. And whatever I've given you, use it wisely. Use it faithfully so that when I return, I will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You've used these things wisely for me. Okay, I think that's the point of these three images back to back to back. So um, I just want to, you know, just stop there. And I was thinking of like this grid. What if we had a certain grid that we ran our lives through? And this to me just feels so radical. And yet it's so clearly what Jesus is saying. What if we had a simple grid for everything we did, which was simply this, would I want to be found doing this when Jesus returns? Okay, like super basic, <laughs> but crazy. <laughs> would, would I want to be found doing this when Jesus returns, right? I want to be ready. I want to be faithfully managing whatever he's given me. So would I want to be found engaging in this, opportun- uh, this activity when Jesus returns? Would I um, want to be found saying these things with these words coming out of my mouth when Jesus returns? Would I want to be found watching this show Uh, when Jesus returns? Would I want to be found purchasing this item when the king returns, right? Would I want to be found spending my weeks doing these sorts of things when Jesus returns? And I don't know about you, but that for me feels a little overwhelming and a little crazy. And if our response is, well, that feels a little intense. I'm not going to run that through every decision. Like, how do you live your life every day with that kind of thing in mind? And what I want to just propose is, if that's our reaction, then maybe we've fallen asleep. Maybe we've absolutely given into the temptation that Jesus is saying, don't give into that. Don't give into that temptation. Stay awake. Stay alert. Stay intentional with these things. Okay, so you feel the, the, the message. You hear it, right? You hear these three images and kind of the implications of it. Here's what I want to do for the rest of the time. I want to say, here's what's challenging about these, <laughs> and then here's the good news in these, all right? So let me go through the challenge first. We'll end on a high note. Um, So I'm going to identify four things that I find really challenging. Three of them I think everyone would find challenging. One I feels personally challenging to me. Um, Here's four things that are so obviously challenging about this. First, this whole concept of waiting is very challenging for us today, right? Jesus says, you're going to need to wait. And it turns out, that so far, we've had to wait for 2,000 years. That is a long time. I promise you, none of the writers of Scripture would have thought it would be that long. And so Jesus is saying, there's something that's going to happen. It didn't happen in your grandparents' generation. didn't happen in your your parents' generation. Hasn't happened in yours yet, right? May not happen in your kids' generation or their kids or your great-great-great-grandchildren. You don't know. But it's going to happen, so keep waiting 2,000 years. And we live in a culture that is not set up to wait well, right? We just, we don't do it well. I mean, if, if, right? 
I mean, if I'm at a stoplight, right, and the, and, and the light turns green, how long does the car in front of me have to move before they get the horn? I was actually thinking about it. I think it's about, I think it's about, I think it's about 2.5 seconds. Right? Green. Boom. Right? About 2.5 seconds. Right? Right? <laughs> Your free two-day shipping item doesn't come in two days. Right? You're going to record a strongly worded email, right? So it's, a, it's just a big ask. 2,000 years, this may not happen in my lifetime or my girl's lifetime or my grandkids if I have them life. I mean, and yet you're asking me to stay alert and awake. That's just a big ask, okay? No way around that. That's the first one that's challenging. Uh, second, this whole metaphor of master and servants is just challenging, you know? Uh, and, of course, Jesus is not advocating for slavery of his day. Um, this was just a reality in the first century. It was very different than the slavery of our, of our uh, American situation. It was not racially charged. It was more economically charged. But the reality is with slavery was often a very harsh and cruel thing. Um, that was just a reality in the day. And, and slaves had absolute authority over their masters. And to me, I think that's the part of the metaphor that Jesus wants us to, to have is... In this, we are, we are servants of someone who has absolute authority over our lives. And Jesus would say that. I have authority. I'm your Lord. I have authority over you. And I have the absolute right to ask you to do things and expect you to do them. And that just does not sit well in our culture today. Right? We want to be the authority of our lives. And we normally live as the authorities. Whether, whatever we might say on a statement of faith. We live as authorities. I'm the authority. I'm going to decide what I think will make me happy in life, right? I'm going to make some plans, and I'm going to set an agenda and set a course for my life, and I'm going to go after that. And so often, our relationship with God actually gets reversed, where it's like, I'm trying to live this happy life, and then we would never say this out loud, but it's like, God, I want you to be my servant towards my happiness, right? I have this plan. I have this, this way I think life will work well, and now I want you to serve <laughs> towards that plan, so I'm praying that you would bless the plans that I have for my life. And I will, I will fit you in my schedule when it works, you know. When Sundays work, I'll be there. When they don't, I won't be there. You know, when, when time with you works, I'll make it happen, but it may not work. But if I show up, you better show up. I mean, you, you know, you better show up and do something big when I show up for you. Right? I mean, we, this is just kind of what can happen underneath uh, the surface. We all, I do this all the time. And so the, the idea that our life so completely belongs to another person, is, it just, it doesn't sit well <laughs> culturally. It doesn't sit well with our human nature. And yet Jesus is like, this is just how it is. <laughs> Your life belongs to me. But that's hard. Uh, number three, um, the judgment inherent in this passage, I think is probably the most unsettling thing, at least, at least to me. Uh, verse 46, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Okay, that's a tough one to, to take. He looked like a servant of the master's. Turns out he really wasn't. He was his own person and he gets removed from the master's presence. And um, like I said earlier, Anywhere you read in the New Testament about the second coming of Christ, there is this side of it that a reckoning is coming. (laughs) 
And, and Jesus will pronounce a, a, a statement, a, a, a verdict on people's lives as the judge that will have eternal impact on them. And some will be excluded from his new kingdom. It's just, I mean, you cannot escape that. Everywhere you look in the New Testament, that is part of what's coming. Um, but that just is so hard. That sits so badly. I mean, culturally, that sits horribly, right? Like, who wants to go around like, hey, I am pro-judgment and exclusion. You know, like, signs. <laughs> judgment and exclusion for Jesus. You know, like that. Those are, right? That just culturally is so hard and personally is hard. Um, and yet you can't escape that side of the story without just rewriting the story, which some people do. Um, but I don't think we can do that faithfully. Um, is this feeling good? I got one more. <laughs> All right, the last one is maybe I feel this one personally. Many of you in this room will also feel this one personally. I hate the way this, this parable ends, verse 48. But the, uh, uh, the ser- or verse 47, the servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. Okay, now that's just just. That's justice, right? That's fair. But I don't like it. Here's why I don't like it. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I think that was my least favorite verse in the Bible growing up. Um, I call, this is the Spider-Man principle, right? Like with great power comes great responsibility. Um, I don't like it because I identify with it. Like, um, I've been given much. <laughs> I grew up in Orange County in a wonderful Christian home with parents who are here today who, who loved me. I was given the, the scriptures at an early age. I had a wonderful church family, a group of extended parents who would have been parents to me and loved me. I had a great education. I had all sorts of privileges in life. I had um, opportunities. And um, that's just the reality of my life. I'm grateful for it. But Jesus is saying, well, all of that comes with greater responsibility. And that's just fair. But I'm like, I don't want the greater responsibility. <laughs> I, I want all those things, but I want to just be able to take those things in for myself. And just kind of, I don't want that to have implications. The level of knowledge I have, the level of opportunities I've had, the level of responsibilities. And he's like, sorry, like, that's just the way it is. How, how could it be any other way? But I just don't like it. It's fair, but I don't like it. You know, the the reward in that last one for having done the responsibility well of managing, the reward is more responsibility. Do you notice that? Like, hey, you were were responsible for my servants. I'll put you in charge of all my possessions. I'm like, I don't want that reward. Like, I want to work hard in this life. I want eternity to be real. The last thing I want is more responsibility in eternity. And Jesus is like, sorry, that's not the program. So all of that, it's challenging. It's unsettling, right? So where is the good news here? How can we move forward in a way that is grace-filled and not like, oh, I'm just feeling bad, but I guess I got to do this because I don't want to get in trouble at the end of my life. What's the good news? Um, Two thoughts I have for you today. All that being said, what we just said, Um, The good news is ultimately who the master is. And there's two things we learn about this master that are very, very good news if we can see it clearly and see him clearly for who he is. Uh, The first one is this. Uh, The master is himself a servant. The master 
is a servant. Let's go back to that first image, right, of the master coming home from the wedding banquet and the servants being ready. Look at what Jesus says about this master. Verse 37, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and we'll come and wait on them. Now I can promise you that is an utterly unexpected twist in the story. No one would be expecting the story to end that way because no first century master would ever do that. Not a chance. What a first century master does is comes home from a wedding, is in good mood, and the servants treat him well and he's happy and he goes to bed. And then they go to bed. That's how it would work. And Jesus is, is introducing us to a master who is unlike any other master, any other human master, a master who would do something utterly unexpected. And that he, it's this, he would dress himself to serve. Remember, that's what the, in verse 35, that's what the servants were supposed to do, right? Be dressed, ready for service. And the master comes home and they're expecting to serve him. And then he does this, he dresses himself for service. He takes off whatever fancy wedding clothes he's got on. He puts his towel on. He has them recline and he waits on them. I don't know. He gives them food. I don't know what that might mean, but he becomes their servant. Okay, no master would do this, and yet this master does this. The master has the heart of a servant. And when you start thinking about Jesus as this master, you realize this is actually not just a, a, a parable. This is literally what he did, right? I mean, the, the night before he died, he, the upper room, he literally dressed himself for service. He took off his outer, outer garment, right? He wrapped a towel around his waist, and he began to wash his disciples' feet and serve them. And he really was, that's what he did while he was with them the whole time. He was always a servant to them. He said, the Son of Man came for this, right? I didn't come to be served. I actually came to serve, to give my life for people. He served them. He serves us. And his greatest act of service is, of course, his act on the cross, where he takes on himself all of the dirt and stain and mess of our sin. He washes us clean. He stoops down to, to build us up. The master comes to his home on earth as a servant. And he serves us until it kills him. This is who he is. And I was thinking this week that that is such a strange, unique relationship we have with Jesus. This, to, to go, this person has complete authority over my life. Like he, th this person is my master. What he says goes, and yet he's also my servant. Like I don't have any other relationship like that in my life. Complete authority, yet he... He serves me. He's my servant. And that really changes the whole tone of his coming again. That the one who comes to set all things right is our servant. And so I look for that day, not just with fear, not just with anxiety, but I look with joy. I look with hopeful expectation and I serve him now and I, I stay awake now, not out of duty or obligation or out of fear of punishment, but because he has served me because I love him. And when he comes back, I get to see the one who has served me. 
And this is, I, I've really never thought about this until this week. This is a crazy idea. Jesus is saying, I think he's saying, when I return, and after you all have served me for your lives and done your best, um, it's not just going to be that I'm going to come and then you're going to serve me in eternity. No, I'm going to come back and you're going to be ready to worship me and fall down and obey me and pay homage to me. And you'll do all that, but I will be ready to serve you, my servants, to say, well done, you fought the good fight, and now you wait and you recline and let me serve you. That's what he's saying he's going to do. Because being a servant for Jesus isn't just something he did for 33 years on this earth. Being a servant is who he is. And so whatever image you have of the second coming and, and, and eternity, and that's really all we have is images, right? We just have images. The, the great white throne room or the, the rider on the horse, right? The loud trumpet blast, the, the coming on the clouds, and then the, the new Jerusalem, the, the, the wedding banquet, the, the new heavens and the earth. We have all these images. I just want to add one more image to your picture of eternity is a master who comes and serves his servants because that is who he is for all eternity. And that's very good news. Amen? All right, so one more thing about this master um, that is worth noting. And this comes from that third story. And I've already said it, but just to draw it out. This master is someone who likes to entrust really important things to his servants. Right? That third one, a master entrusts other servants to a servant. And his reward for faithfulness is to be entrusted with all of his possessions. And we have many different parables in the New Testament that get at this theme. The parable of the talents, the parable of the minus, where there's a master, where, where Jesus is being presented as someone who entrusts things to us. Whether it's money, whether it's people, whether it's stuff. But it's big stuff. It's important stuff. And he entrusts it to us. And when we are faithful with it, Upon, on, on, on his return, he entrusts more to us. And my point is this. The master is someone whose heart is this. It's a heart that says, I'm not just looking for subjects to rule over. I'm looking for partners. I'm looking for people that I can entrust valuable things of mine to. To give them to them and to, give, to empower them, to equip them and to say, now go and be faithful with these things that I've given you. I don't just want servants. I want partners, right? And so he entrusts this stuff, our own gifts and talents, our wealth, our relationships, our families, our homes, our work. He gives it to us. He says, I'm entrusting you with this and I'm doing that because I believe in you. <laughs> I have filled you with my spirit, and I'm not going to micromanage you, okay? Now, you go and do it. We're like, do what? You figure it out. <laughs> be wise. Be faithful. But I'm entrusting this to you because I want partners. I don't want subjects. I want partners. And really, that was God's heart from the very beginning. Let me just show you couple verses here. I mean, this is how the story begins, right? Genesis 1, God creates this beautiful creation, and then he makes these creatures in his image. 
And look what he says to them. God created humanity, male and female, in his, in, in his own image. And then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and rule over it. Okay, I'm entrusting this beautiful place to you. I'm going to rule it, but I'm going to rule it through you. I've given you my image. I've made you like me. Now go out there and do it. How? Figure it out. Do it. I trust you. Partner with me in being co-creators in this beautiful new world that I've created. Okay? This is really what he says to his disciples, Jesus, when right before Jesus goes to heaven. Very similar. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right? Therefore, Go and make disciples. Go out into the world. Same as Genesis 1. Now the, the vision is make disciples. And I'm with you to the very end of the age. Okay? I'm with you. I have authority. I'm in you and with you. Now go and do it. Really? That's your plan, Jesus? Yes. I trust you. I believe in you. Go out into the world. I'm going to return. I mean, you look at this like, I feel some like, I feel like this is a bad plan, Jesus. Right? Like, let's look at the history of the church. Like, I, I feel like this is not a good plan. Um, and I, for me, I, I, again, every personality is different. I don't, I don't love having lots of responsibility. That doesn't come naturally to me. And I, the parable of the talents, I so relate to the third guy in the talent. This is, it's a story where the master gives three different sums of money to three guys. One gets ten talents. That's a sum of money. One gets five and one only gets one. And the third guy, his thought is like, I just don't want to screw this up. Right? Like, I don't, want to, I don't want to lose the master's money. So he just buries the money, and the master comes back, and he's like, here, I didn't lose your money. Here, it's back. And the master's like, that's not what I wanted at all. Like, I want you to go out and do something with it. Try it. I trusted you with this. It's like, no, I don't want to screw it up. It's like, that's, I'm sorry. This is, that's not the plan. I'm, I'm trusting you with this. The story ends in Revelation this way. Verse, uh, Revelation 22, 5. This is the last thing that's said about us. And they will reign forever and ever. Okay? Not just they will worship. Not just they will fall at his feet. But they will rule and reign with Jesus. That's the image of us reigning as kings and queens along with Jesus in this new creation that God gives us. With new responsibilities. I have no idea what that actually looks like. But that's the, that's the picture. So you've got to add that to your image of eternity. Not just worship, not just praise, but ruling with responsibility and authority being entrusted. And all of this, the master's saying, I want partners. I've always wanted partners. And I don't just want servants who are subjects. I want partners. You might be, I don't want to be a partner. He's like, too bad. <laughs> you are. You're a partner. Step up. I trust you. I've given you wisdom. I've given you my spirit. Be faithful. So that's the good news. The master is our servant. And he's a partner. He wants to partner. So I leave you with that idea. Jesus is going to return. And we want to live our lives today in light of that reality. The way we do that, we stay awake. We stay alert. We, we stay mindful of that return. And whatever we've been entrusted with, we, we use it faithfully and wisely for his sake. I love how the parable of the talents ends with the master saying this, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And if I could leave you with a phrase, I think it's that first phrase, well done, 
good and faithful servant. That if you can understand who this master is and and your heart can be transformed by who he is for you, that you will live every day of your life wanting to hear that. Well done, good and faithful servant. That that will be the deepest motivation behind all the things that you do in life. I want to please my master. Not because I'm so afraid of disappointing him, but because he's my servant and he's partnering and I get to partner with him and I want to please him. I want, I want to hear those words well done. And that is the why behind everything I do in life. Okay? That's the deepest why behind the other whys for why I do what I do. Right? You're in a fight with your spouse. Okay? And you're trying to figure out what to do. And there's nothing about your spouse that's endearing them to you in the moment right? You're so frustrated. You want to say things. What's the deepest why for why you choose to love in that moment? Not because you're loving them. You're kind of out of love for them in the moment. But the deeper why is this, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So I am loving my spouse, not for his sake or not for her sake, but for Jesus' sake, right? That's the why. As you engage in business, you have opportunities to promote yourself that wouldn't be faithful to God or opportunities to take deals that wouldn't be faithful. What's what's the why that's going to keep you faithful? It's that I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. As you're going through challenges in life, going through health problems, cancer, depression, persecution, and you just want to give up, you just want to check out, what is the deepest why to continue going on? It's that I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. That is the heartbeat of my life. Amen? I leave you with Jesus' own words. These are the final words of Jesus in Scripture. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Yes, I am coming soon. And the church responds, Maranatha. Yes, Lord, come soon. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you give us a vision of the kind of master you are, one who is a servant, one who partners with his people, who longs to partner with his people. Lord, where we've fallen asleep, where we have uh, gotten so focused on the world and have lost sight of you, Would you wake us up? And if we need to be confronted, if we need to be convicted, convict and confront. And where we need to be comforted, where we need to be encouraged, would you comfort and encourage and inspire? Pick us back up. Help us to walk this journey, waiting eagerly for your return. And even now, as we sing praise to you, Lord, move in our hearts, move in our minds, Work in us what would be pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.